Hey, my name is Lucas, and I want to welcome you to the official podcast of Coastline Young Adults from Coastline Church in Victoria. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you in your faith and helping you apply it to real life in real time. Here you'll find messages from our weekly service at Coastline Nights and other conversations where we talk and tackle what it means to be a follower of Jesus in today's culture. Everything you find here will point you to the truth and hope of Jesus. So grab a beverage, enjoy the message, and lean into how God wants to speak to you today. Hey, what's up, Coastline Nights? Good to see you tonight. Great to be here with you. Yes, it's an unexpected love story. That's our our sermon series title. Tonight I'm going to talk about a new starting line. Excited to jump into this new series with you. Um, This is a great series. We're looking at an Old Testament book, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. But uh, before we jump into that, I'm wondering if I can kind of get um, like a poll from the audience on uh, movie genres, okay? Because because there's a connection between movie genres and our new series. So let me hear it. How many of you out there would say, my favorite movie genre is action movies? I want something to blow up. I want someone to be uh, chased in a car. I want someone to get a karate chop to the throat. Yeah, I got some friends in the house. Okay, I'm an action person. I like action. Okay, what about um, comedies? Who's saying like, you know what? I want to laugh. I just want to laugh. All right, this is a comedy crew. I like it. Okay, um, what about um, like sci-fi and superheroes? Who's into that? Yeah, okay, good, good, good. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Need some Marvel. Everybody's now dissing my usage of the different genres and talking about, I can see it. That's not, that's not a sci-fi. That's a super, okay, anyway. Okay, what about this one? Who likes the epic dramas? Like, Give me 15 hours of cinematography. I want Braveheart. I want Long. I want, yeah, okay, there's some. Yeah, there's some there. Okay, okay. Um, so I got, I got action. I got comedy. I got sci-fi superhero. I got, um, I, got uh, I got epic drama. What am I missing? I'm missing something. Oh, rom-com. Who's into the rom-coms? Come on. Oh, there goes the hands. Good, 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 good. Okay, good, good, good. Well, I want to tell you, that our, our sermon series, if it was a movie genre, it would definitely be a rom without the calm, okay? There's not a lot of comedy in it. There's not a lot of levity in it. But it's sort of like, you know, uh, Little Women meets Notebook and Pride and Prejudice. Something like that. That's where I'm going, okay? So it's, a, it's an ancient story of romance and love. And um, it's not, there's no car chases. There's no shootouts. There's no explosions, um, you know, it's a couple of women and a lot of talking, okay? That's really what it is. There's lots of talking. Out of the 85 verses in this book, 55 of them are dialogue. So it's people talking, and they're sharing deeply, and and in the midst of that dialogue comes romance, and we get to learn about relationships, and we get to learn about interpersonal relationships and familial relationships, and even romantic relationships. So it's, honestly, it's going to be a great series. We're looking at the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth, and we're starting tonight. Sadly, let me set the story up. There's two women, two main characters in the book, Ruth and Naomi, who we'll get to in just a minute, and they had lost everything. There's a, tr- a lot of tragedy in the book. But the thing that comes alongside of that is this sense of God's presence. 
God's presence is all over the book. He's there everywhere in unexpected ways. And so there's no miracles. There's no parting of the Red Sea. There's no raising of the dead. There's no healing of the sick. But on every page, we see the power and the presence and the providence of God. It's a wonderful story, and I'm so happy to share it with you. And my hope for you tonight is this, that, you know, when we look at life, it's easy to feel as though, you know, we're hurt we're discouraged. It's easy to feel like we're losing hope. It's easy to feel like we're stuck and we don't know what to do. But my hope in this series is that you'll find a new starting line. I had an experience once um, many years ago when I was younger. I uh, ran the Royal Victoria Marathon. And that's here in the city. And it's Victoria, obviously. And and the thing that's interesting about the Royal Victoria Marathon is it kind of winds you from downtown, takes you down along the water, and then kind of up into Oak Bay and, you know, all through the city. Um, and then it takes you up by Glenland Norfolk School, and then you kind of turn around there, and then you go back up through Oak Bay and down Oak Bay Avenue. You're like running right down the main street. You're kind of like, oh, I should shop for some antiques while I'm here. And, and then you keep on running down, and you get back down to... Uh, the water, and by this time, you're in your high kilometers, okay? So there's this one spot where when I was running the marathon that I got to right by Clover Point. Does anybody know where Clover Point is? Kind of sticks out in the water, and there's usually like there's like windsurfers all around there and stuff. And I got to about that point. It was, it was kilometer 37, and I hit what's known as the wall. And the wall is a real thing in running. And, and what it is, basically, it's like you're done. You're out of energy. You've, you've, your legs feel like jello. I, honestly, I said to myself, I don't think I'm going to make it. But then something interesting happened. As quickly as I said it, something happened in my psyche. Maybe it was God who just, like, blessed me. Or maybe it was just the endorphins. But I had this thought. Look how far you've come. Look how many kilometers you've already done. And between here, 37, you know, a marathon is 42.9 kilometers. So 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, and 0.9. I'm almost done. I was so much behind me. And what happened is in my, my psyche, I just felt this change. And it was like, you know what? I can do this. You know what I'm going to do? I'm, I could definitely do that many kilometers. I've done it so many times. That's not that far. I can do that. And this is going to be my new starting line. I'm going to start right here. Kilometer 37 is my new starting line, and I'm going to go to the end. And listen, some of you might feel like there's some life behind you. There's some pain behind you. There's some disappointment or difficulty or challenge. Or maybe you look back and say, you know what? It's been a mix of good and bad. Or maybe you're saying, you know what? It's been fine, but I'm here, and I'm not sure what's next. Listen, I think that what God wants to do is give us a new starting line. I just have this sense that maybe someone's here who hasn't been here in a long time. And it's like God is saying, hey, welcome back. It's time to start again. It's a new starting line. It's a new starting line. And this is a perfect time to join us at the beginning of this series. I want to pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that as we look in your word tonight, God, you have so much for us. So I just pray, Lord, that there would be open hearts. That, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, you would give clarity to us about how this word applies to us as individuals and us as a community. I pray that you would broaden the application so it would be even more than what I'm able to share. But by your spirit, Lord, you would speak specifically to people and you would minister your grace over them.
We thank you that tonight is here. And I pray, Lord, that there'd be a gentle leaning in as we share, as we talk, as I bring up some, maybe some sensitive issues. Lord, relational stuff is difficult stuff. Romantic stuff is close to the heart. And so we just need your wisdom and we need your help. So thanks for being here with us tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I kind of need to just go on record with you that I'm going to share a few things in this series tonight and next week. And then there'll be others that share into the series. And we're going to share some things that are, like I said, kind of close to the heart. We're going to talk about romance. We're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about how we do relationships. And some of the things that we share may be a challenge to you. It's not intended to be judgmental, but it is intended to be instructional. Like we're going to lean in, we're going to look at God's word, and we're going to make, we're going to draw some conclusions. And hopefully this is helpful to you because the real goal here, and that's what the Bible is all about, is about giving you the very best possible life with God. That's what it's about. And so as we lean in, that's what we're looking at, the best possible life with God. And so God puts some parameters, gives us some instruction, and that's all there to help us. And so as we look at the word tonight, let's let this story, this, let's let the romance unfold. Let's let, let's let the storyline just lead us, and let's learn together. Okay, so let's start at the beginning of Ruth, chapter 1, ancient story, uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the days when the judges ruled... There was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. And so it's interesting that this uh, passage opens up with this line. In the days when the judges ruled. Because in the days when the judges ruled was a very specific time in the history of the nation of Israel. It was after they came into the promised land and before they ever had a king. It was this time when everybody was figuring out how they were going to live their lives, listening to the law of God, worshiping the God of Israel, but not quite sure how it all worked out. And so any Bible scholars in here tell me, what's the book of the Bible before Ruth? What? Come on, say it. Yes, judges, you win the prize right there. Second row, this girl right here, let's give it up for her. Yes, 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 you win the prize. Way to go. Free coffee. Free coffee right beside the coffee bar is free. It's for you and all of you, okay? You all win the prize because of her. Okay, great. Um, Yes, judges. And judges ends, which is, you know, just before this, the verse just before the verse I read ends this way. It says, in those days, Israel had no king, All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And guys, I want to say, I just feel like we're again back in this time of life in our culture where everybody is just trying to figure out what's right in their own eyes. And people are making uh, decisions and drawing conclusions based on what they see is right in their own eyes, what they're looking at, what seems to make sense. And there's been other times like this in history. And in the midst of that, God does want to speak and God wants to give direction. And maybe God has given direction, but it's not always heeded. And I think this is part of the storyline for us today, is that people are doing what's right in their own eyes. And where does that actually lead us? I think we're going to look at the story and maybe learn a few things. Let me introduce you to the characters I mentioned. Elimelech, that's one of the characters. 
That's not a name that's very common. This is the dad in the story. And Elimelech means, my God is king. Isn't that interesting? Because in the time of the judges, they had no king. And yet, his very name says, my God is king. I do have a king. I am submitted to a king. His name is Yahweh. That's my God. My God is king. His wife's name, Naomi. Naomi means sweet. But later on in the story, because of her pain, she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara because I'm bitter. She changes her name from sweet to bitter because of the pain in her life. We'll see that in a little while. And she has two sons. And, the, and when you would name your sons back in the day, back in Bible days, you named them in one of two ways. You named them based on something you wanted to see in them. You know, and we kind of do that still. Like if you wanted, you know, if you wanted them to be a leader, you would call them like strong or, or godly or whatever. You would name them something that fit with what you wanted for them. The other thing that they would do is they would look at the child and they would decide a name based on something they saw about the child. And so if you came out and you had like really gross looking toes, they might call you ugly feet. Probably not, but it could happen, right? Could, could. So that's how they named people in the Old Testament. And so it's interesting that there's two sons here, Malon and, and Kilion. And Malon means sick and Kilion means tired. So here's my kids, sick and tired. I'm not quite sure how that happened because they had options, right? Like all the names in the world were an option, but they chose sick and tired. So my God is king hangs out with, with, uh, with, um, with sweet and sick and tired. Okay. And these guys decide that because of the famine, they're going to leave and they're going to go to Moab. So Imelech is worried for his family. So they move from Bethlehem, which is known as the house of bread, which is also interesting. It's called the house of bread, but there was a famine and there was no bread. The house of bread was out of bread. And, and so they went to Moab. Now there's a problem with this. This is where the drama starts to come in. The problem is, is that God in the Bible strictly for, forbade any of his people to live in Moab. It was against the law of God. Because the Moabites were seen as a very polluted and evil people. They were descendants of a man named Moab. And Moab, this man named Moab was, was uh, conceived in a terrible way. If you read back into the early part of the Bible, you'll find in Genesis 19, there's a story it's a story about a man named Lot, who was the nephew of Abraham, the one who God made a covenant with. And Lot was living in a place called Sodom. And that place was so evil and so bad that God said, I'm going to have to destroy Sodom. So Lot, you and your daughters and your wife come out and, and I'm going to have to destroy the city. The angel of God came and, and rescued them. Lot's wife wasn't wanting to be rescued. She turned back and she was caught up in God's wrath. And the cities were destroyed. And there's Lot in a cave in the mountainside with his two daughters. Now, this is where the story gets kind of gross. And I apologize. I'm just telling you, I'm describing what the Bible says. I'm not applauding this or saying it's right. Actually, it's awful. But what happened is, is the minds of the two daughters were polluted by living in Sodom. And they had a polluted way of thinking about life. And they were fearful that they were not going to be able to have um, a future line. 
And so they, they got their father drunk and both of them slept with him and they both became pregnant and one of those children was Moab. And so this child that was born in incest grew up and became a nation of people. And those people worshipped a false god named Shemash, who asked them to sacrifice their children. And so they were, they were uh, pagan worshippers. They worshipped a false god and they sacrificed their children. And so God said, you must never associate with him. In fact, he said in Psalm 60 that Moab is my wash basin. In other words, that's the place where I wash my dirty feet. It's not a place where you would go. That's, that's, that's not a place for you. So remember his name, the man, is Elimelech. My God is king. And yet he's not living like God is his king. Why? Because he can't feed his family. And so he's doing what is right in his own eyes. He's moving away from what God had called him to. And he's not doing things God's way. And this happens. We rationalize things. We say, you know what? It's a better economy. I can get a better job. I can have a better house. I can provide better for my family. And in many places, we are tempted. You'll be tempted in your life to choose economic provision over spiritual protection. And they left the land of Israel. And they went to Moab. And they found uh, a better economic situation, but they were more vulnerable. And I've seen people who have said, you know what, I'm going after this job and I'm going to leave town and I'm going to move away and I'm going to go pursue my dreams and my career. And in the midst, somewhere along the lines, they left God behind. And although they've got their career and they've got their money, they certainly don't have a vibrant life with God. And so sometimes more money can equal less of God. And so we have to be careful I want you to be really careful when you're graduating from university or when you're starting your career. I want you to be really careful to think about what are the things that matter the most? Because we can sometimes make economic decisions that have spiritual implications. So be careful. Be careful. Your future matters and it matters most to God. Your faith matters more than your career. And for some of you, that's even a challenging thought. Yeah, your faith matters more than your career. Let me go on record. I'll be much happier if my children have less money and more God than more money and less God. And that is the truth. That's how I feel about it. Okay, girls, are you listening? Pay attention. Just kidding. So, okay, I'm going to leave you with a question, you know, because um, actually I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm staying for a while. <laughs> but, um, you know, times got tough for Elimelech, and so they left Bethlehem, and they left God's people, and they ended up in Moab. And the question is, when times get tough for you, what do you do? What do you do? And so, so here's where I'm going to press just a little bit, okay? I'm going to lovingly press. Here's my promise. I'm going to be as loving as I possibly can, and I'm going to ask you, would you please lean in? Don't lean away, because my heart is for you. I love you, and, and I want to help you, and so I want to be loving. I want to be gentle, but I also want to just press just a little bit, okay? Because for Elimelech, he decided that Moab was the right thing to do. It was right in his own eyes, and for us, when times get tough, what is it that we're going to do? And when times get tough, are we going to be able to trust and obey God or are we going to move to Moab? Because we have the option of doing so. You know, like Elimelech, my God is king and I trust him and I want to obey him with my life. But when it comes to my dating life, 
I know the Bible talks about not having sex before marriage, but I've been dating and I've been waiting and I'm ready to do some mating. And the needs are real. So what is it that I'm going to do? Am I going to trust and obey God? Or am I going to move to Moab? See, that's when it starts to get real. It starts to get a little deeper. My God is king of my life and I, I'll trust and obey him. But when it comes to returning my tithe to him, when it comes to giving money, man, things are tight. Life is expensive. I've got worries. There's things I need to buy. Am I going to trust God? Am I going to obey him? Or am I going to move to Moab? My God is king of my life and, and I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to get drunk. But then I have a bad day. I have a stressful moment. And what do I do? Am I going to trust and obey God or am I going to move to Moab? And this is kind of the picture, guys. When times get tough, Moab looks tempting. It looks so tempting to go there when things get tough. And listen, I'm not judging. In fact, when I think about Elimelech, I think about, man, what a dilemma. My children could starve. I've got to do something. I understand it. But honestly, it's not usually that desperate for us. And we've moved to Moab on under far less pressure. And so let's just look at the storyline for a minute because you know what? The proof is in the storyline, right? Well, how did Moab treat them? Was it a good decision? Did they move to Moab? Did they leave God's people and leave God's will and everything worked out fine? Well, no. In fact, look at the next verse. It says, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband died and she was left with her two sons. And then in verse four, it says, they married Moabite women one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So follow this storyline. They moved to Moab and in the course of time, Elimelech, the husband, dies. We don't know if he had a stroke, if he got ran over by a camel. We have no idea. I, I, I'm sure it happens, right? But left his wife in a very difficult situation. So at that point, Naomi would have been husbandless, but she still had two sons and two daughter-in-laws. Or maybe it was before the daughter-in-laws come and she was still left with her two sons. Why didn't she go back to Bethlehem at that point? Let me show you on a map. In fact, take a look at this. Here's Bethlehem and there's Moab. Now this is the Dead Sea. So on this side is Israel. On this side would be modern day Jordan. And above the Dead Sea, there's the Jordan River that goes up to the Sea of Galilee that would just be off the top of the screen. So that journey is about 50 miles. So it would have taken them maybe two, three, possibly four days with a river crossing in the middle. And so it really wasn't that far. And yet, 10 years later, she was still there. 10 years later, and her sons had married Moabite women, something that God had absolutely forbidden. And so let me press just again once more to you amazing people. Let's give these brothers the benefit of the doubt. You know, their sons probably thought, well, these girls are really cute. They've got brilliant personalities. Maybe, maybe I can convert them. And so, you know, they did what they shouldn't have done. They married Moabite women. And that wasn't God's plan for them. And some of you might be saying, man, Andy, you're kind of pressing on us. But I want you to know that in God's love, God gives us boundaries. He gives us boundaries on life. 
He gives us boundaries on romance. He gives us boundaries because he loves us. And you know, the question that I get a lot from people who are younger, who are dating, or um, even people who are kind of stepping into married life. And then, then on the other side, people who have been married and maybe a spouse has died or, or they've lost a relationship, it's broken, and now they're trying to start over with their life. They ask me this question, is it okay to marry a non-believer? And some of you may have never asked that question, but tonight our text and this story of these two sons causes us to reflect on this idea. And I I need to tell you that lovingly, as I read the Bible, I read it carefully and I reflect on it and I say, no, it's not okay to marry an unbeliever. It's not okay. It's not God's best. It's not God's plan. And here's the way the Bible says it. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. In other words, don't join your life in a specific and significant way with unbelievers. In fact, this verse goes on to say, what what connection, what fellowship does light and darkness have with one another? See, it's making a strong case here to be very, very careful about the spouse that you choose, about the people that you connect your life to, about your life partners. You may say, man, why is God so restrictive? Is he trying to spoil our fun? Is that the whole point of this? And, you know, Andy, if you're saying, like, I can only marry someone at church, you know, the, the pool just got really small, right? You know that, Andy, right? And I get it. I understand that what, what the scripture is teaching here causes a little bit of a challenge. And, you know, I have, I have a, a couple of daughters, and, and two of them are here tonight. Uh, and my, one of my daughters, Eden, um, you know, she's, she's uh, had a, a couple of boys interested. And the good thing is, is she's 14 and she can't date till she's 30. So we're safe for a while. <laughs> so it's kind of like a conversation for another day. But, um, you know, she, she had this one guy in particular that I almost murdered. No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I just thought murderous thoughts. And then I had to repent. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Sort of. But, okay, really God knows my heart. It's a hard thing for dads. Okay, so anyway, point being is that she, this guy was like, hey, can we like go to the movies or something? And, and then my daughter was saying to me like, hey, dad, like, what am I supposed to say? I said, tell this guy, this boy, <laughs> this young man, tell him that, yeah, we can hang out together on Thursday night at this place called Coastline Youth. It's amazing. You can come and you can hang out. It's great. You can meet some cool people. And I think maybe he did come once or twice, but I think he was getting the clue, Eden, and uh, no loss, no loss at all. But you know what? I just think that there's some times where we have decisions to make. And some of you are going like, why does this matter, Andy? Like if we're in love, if we're compatible, if we have like a lot of shared interests, why is this important? And, and I want to go back to the name of the, the, of the husband here, Elimelech. My God, my God is king. My king is my God. That's what his name means. If God is the king of your life, then why would you share your life, raise a family with someone who doesn't know your God? Because... The truth is, at some point, that becomes a problem. All it takes is a crisis. 
What do you do as a Christian when you're in a crisis? You pray. Don't you want to be able to take hands with your spouse and pray? And say, let's believe together. Don't you want to exercise your faith when you're like facing a mountain and, and you don't know what to do and you can't see a way through? But you can say, let's, let's believe together. Let's pray together. There's something powerful about us doing this together. Or maybe your children are suffering and, and, and you're, you're worried about where they're going. And you can encourage each other with biblical truth, with, 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 with godly wisdom. I can't begin to tell you how sad it is for children who have two different role models. One parent that follows God and one parent that doesn't. Because it's a 50-50 shot. And more times than not, I've seen children choose to follow the parent that doesn't follow Christ's lead because it's easier. It's just easier. No, I don't want to go to church. No, I don't want to do what's difficult. No, I don't want to pray. No, I don't want to have faith. No, it's easier to just go with culture. It's just easier to just go with the, with the flow. And so these are the kind of things that God is saying, I'm looking down the road. I'm seeing further than you are. I'm seeing past where you are today. I'm seeing about your legacy, about your future, about the generations to come and who your life is to affect. And I think there's a wonderful, wonderful warning here that if you're still yet to choose a spouse, if you're still yet to choose that partner that'll be with you in life, then can I encourage you, choose someone who shares your faith. Choose someone who shares your faith. You know, the interesting thing is, is they left Bethlehem to go to Moab to escape death. They didn't want anybody to, to die. They wanted to rescue the family. And yet when they got there, three of them died. And so sometimes we feel like if we jump over here, if we get outside of what God's plan is and we get over here, we're going to be okay. And the truth is that's not the way it works. The story of Ruth is a story of widows who lost what they loved. They were homeless. They were without money. They were without hope. Widows had a very, very poor, poor life. And so this was the reality of the story. And so finally, Naomi, she decides, I got to go back to Bethlehem. I've heard good news. I've heard that, you know, things are better in Bethlehem. So I'm going to go back now. And, 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 She's with her daughter-in-laws, and these three main characters start to converse. And that, that's really the body of chapter one, is this conversation. And Naomi tells her daughter-in-laws, girls, I want you to just go back. I want you to go back because, you know what, it's just, it's just you, you're young, and you can have babies, and you can get married, and you can start a family. No need to be like me. No need to be destitute. Just go back. And... Orpah, one of the two daughter-in-laws, decides that she'll do that. So she goes back and, and she starts like a TV show. And it's very successful. And magazine, sort of like an empire. Come on, guys. That was funny. It's not Oprah. It's Orpah. Okay, Orpah, yeah. Guys. This is my fifth time preaching this. Can you help me out? Seriously. That was funny. It's a heavy message. I'm keeping things light, okay? Come on, stay with me. So, but Ruth decides to stay. And, and her mother-in-law's like, no, no, Ruth, you go, you go. And, and, and Ruth 
says something amazing. The first time we hear any dialogue from Ruth, which is who this book is about, a Moabite woman, that's pretty powerful, a book in a Jewish, a Jewish book about a Jewish nation. And there's a Moabite woman who's got a book named after her in the Bible. It's pretty cool. Ruth speaks for the first time, and it's a famous verse. It's the one that was on the sermon bumper. And she says, but it says, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. This is massive. This is a massive declaration from Ruth. Because she's declaring her loyalty to Naomi. And she's declaring her commitment to the God of Israel. She's saying, I'm done with Chemosh. I'm done with the Moabite way. I'm choosing the God of Israel. And so Ruth and Naomi together leave Moab and they return to God in Bethlehem. And the Bible says they returned. This word returned is the same word in the New Testament, repentance. It means to turn around. It means to go a different direction. It means to move back from sin and toward God. To put your back toward the past and look forward to the future. To return. The word in Hebrew is shub. Shub. And, it, and it's listed in your Bible 1,100 times. Return. 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 1,100 times. And so there's Naomi and Ruth, and they're starting on their journey, and they return to Bethlehem. And this really, this idea of return highlights one of the most important truths that I have for you tonight, and it's simply this. To get to the right place, you have to leave the wrong one. To get to the right place, you have to leave the wrong one. It's really simple. If you want to marry the right person, you might have to break up with the wrong one. Right? In order to get to the right place, you might have to leave the wrong, you are going to have to leave the wrong one. I want you to think about this. You know, on one side, it's Moab. And on the other side, it's Bethlehem. On one side, it's Moab. And on the other side, it's Bethlehem. And Ruth simply made one decision. She made one choice. It was one act of repentance. Turn my back on Moab and go to God in Bethlehem with Naomi. It was one decision, one act of repentance, one choice, and it changed her life. And not only that, it formed a new legacy. Listen, I need you to think about this, okay? Let's go to the next slide here. Moab's here, Bethlehem's there, and they start on their journey. And Naomi somewhere right at the beginning says, go back, and Orpah does, but, but Ruth says, no, I'm going to stay with you. And then they start taking steps. And every step they take, listen, every step they take, they're moving closer to their destiny. Ruth is moving closer to her future, closer to the plan of God, as she moves away from Moab and toward Bethlehem. Bethlehem is called the house of bread. And, and on her way there, she's receiving the provision of God. When she gets there, God's going to bless her. In fact, most of our images are all about wheat fields because that's important in the storyline. God blesses her. God provides for her. She's in Bethlehem. It's the house of bread. But it's important to also know that someone else went to Bethlehem to be born, and his name is Jesus. Jesus came to Bethlehem with his mom, <laughs> Before he was born, he was born there. And why is that significant? What kind of connection am I making? Well, Jesus is the bread of life. And so maybe it's a metaphor that you need to grab onto. I'm leaving the past. 
I'm leaving the sin of Moab. I'm leaving the sin and I'm going to Jesus. I'm going to the bread of life. But more than that, I need you to understand this. I'm not trying to spoil the storyline, but Ruth actually has a future in Bethlehem that is absolutely amazing. God does miracles for her. And God takes this repentant Moabite woman who comes from a sinful nation and he puts her directly in the line of Jesus Christ. She's like the great, 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 great grandma of Jesus. God is that kind of a redemptive God. And all it took was one decision. Turn my back on Moab and head toward God in Bethlehem. And that's really where we're at even tonight, friends. This message is for you. This picture is for us. This is a new starting line. And God has something to say to us. And I just wonder if there is some part of my life, some part of your life that's still in Moab. There's something there that you can think of. We say, my God is king, but still, I'm just trying to do what's right in my own eyes. Listen, I want to ask you a question, a very very specific question. What decision could you make? What action could you take that would change the trajectory of your life and your legacy? Is there one decision, one commitment? Is there one phone number that you just need to forget that you have? Are you dating the wrong person and you just need to break up with them? Do you have a credit card that you just can't handle and you just need to cut it up? Is there some of you that just need to make a decision that I'm going to live on less and I'm going to give more? Maybe, maybe it's something else for you altogether. Maybe it's about understanding that there's a call you need to make and an apology that you need to give because you've been wrong and now your pride is just standing in the way. Maybe there's somebody you just need to look them in the eye and say, I'm sorry for my part in this. Could it be that there's just one decision that you need to make and in doing so, you're going to step toward Bethlehem, toward your destiny, toward the legacy that God has planned for you. Maybe you need to surrender something to God. Maybe you need to surrender someone to God. Maybe you need to fall on your knees and surrender yourself to God. What one decision, what one action do you need to do that could change the trajectory of your life and your legacy? I want to pray with you about that. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? You see, in order to go to the right place, we've got to leave the wrong one. And I think God's calling to us. There's a, there's a call out to return, return to him, leaving Moab, heading toward Bethlehem. Come on. I think there's some of you here that feel like you're stuck. You feel like you've made decisions and it sealed your future. You feel like you're stuck on a path. You're stuck on a trajectory. You're stuck in a job. You're stuck in a relationship. You're just stuck in life. You're stuck with addiction. You're stuck with a habit. You're stuck with debt. Listen, I want you to know 
that I believe God called me here tonight to tell you, you are not stuck. That's a lie. You feel overwhelmed, but you're not stuck. God has a plan. God has a plan and he wants to free you. He wants to set you on a new path. You still got to walk from Moab to Bethlehem, but he's going to be with you. He's going to lead you. What one decision, what one decision, what one choice, what one action do you need to do, do you need to make in order to step forward into God's great plan, his legacy for your future? So Lord, as we pray tonight, we just thank you for your word and we thank you that your word is supposed to resonate inside of us. So Lord, challenge us with this word. Help us to learn from these incredible and ancient stories that give us pictures of human nature and life. Because Lord, it is so true. So many of us at varied times, we just go back to Moab. Or we just stay in Moab and we don't ever go, go to you in Bethlehem. We don't get up and move. And so God, I pray for courage pray for great strength. I pray for a tenacity to make a decision, Lord, that will change the future. I pray tonight, Lord God, that you would grip us with that one thing. And we might feel like there's a lot of things, but Lord, would you just highlight one thing that we could do, one choice that we could make, one action we could take that could literally change the trajectory of our lives and our legacy. So Lord, I thank you for your grace. And just continuing to pray, I wonder if there's anybody here as we're just gonna stay in this moment of prayer for a minute. Who's here says, you know what? I'm one of those people who needs to fall on my knees and surrender my life to Jesus. Listen, you don't have to fall on your knees today, but as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, could I ask you, would you just lift your hand and say, Andy, I need to surrender to Jesus. And I'm going to do that right now. Yeah, thanks for that hand and that hand and that hand. Oh, that's so good. Thank you. Hands everywhere. Hands everywhere. It's so good. I'm going to surrender to Jesus. I'm going to leave Moab. I'm going to go to God. So Lord, you see our hands and you know our hearts. And so I just pray in Jesus' name that you put your hands down. I just pray in Jesus' name for those who lifted up their hands. And I pray... Lord, that you would gently lead them, that you would meet them right where they are and that that they would have your strength and your companionship. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just speak your affirmation over them and direct them and lead them. And Lord, as they open their lives to you, just come flooding in. I thank you, Lord, that you stand at the door of our hearts and knock. And today, all those uplifted hands, that's like opening the door and saying, come in, Jesus. Just come in. Just come in. I'm so grateful that you do that, Lord. So tonight we confess you. We confess Elimelech. My God is the king. My God is the king. Be king over my life. I give you my life. And we pray this together in Jesus' awesome name. Amen. 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 Well, let's stand together, okay? Let's lift one more song of praise to God before we go. He's worthy of our praise. And I just pray that tonight God is just gently leading you into your next, your next step, your next decision. He's gracious and loving. And we're in this together, hey? Let's live this life together. Let's do it as a community. May God bless you as you follow him.